Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on in Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, violently dismantling the Ferris wheel. And I'm Philippa Hall, practising handstands in the yard. And then there's you lot, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, checking with Helen that the temperature of the cheese is just right. Poor you. <laughs> well, Dumpty Dum is the people's podcast, and on this episode we have ten caller innerers. We hear from Mike, who has to call in to share his despair about Helen and Tom. Rob, who's calling in to question Oliver's authority. Richard, who has a clear telephone line and a clear view on the business acumen of Ambridge. Bernadette, who's considering the future for George Grundy. Paula, who is most perplexed this week by Ian. Claire from Clapham, who is wondering how Bridge Farm stays afloat. Chloe, who is a first-time caller in Lillian, who is shouting at the radio. God Squad Mia, who has a word for George. And Jen, who is not a fan of the week's drama. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, and the three Twitter gongs, Bronze, Silver and Gold by Purple Pumpkin. Unfortunately, no round-up of the Facebook group this week due to technical reasons, but we hope that normal service will be restored soon. Marvellous. Now, before Philip and I start chatting too much, Let's remind ourselves of what happened this week with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Suey. Hello, lovely people. It's Suey, Queen of Tart, and the Twisters here in another week in Ambridge. And oh, what a week it's been. Eddie lost a ferret and found it down his trousers. Lindy Bottom thought the grunty world of ferrets was excellent. Has she had a personality transplant? The stalls were in the wrong place and Eddie was like a headless chicken or some such. Then he presented the Grundy Ferris wheel and she was like putty in his hands. Her brochures had had over 500 downloads. 
though there is much suspicion that George will be siphoning off the money somehow. George raised a phenomenal amount of money for the charity. George says he starts his farm management course in the autumn. Oliver was completely taken in, particularly when George declared that Oliver has been more of a grandparent to him than Neil. Neil wondered why he's the only grandparent who can't connect with George. That's because you have integrity, Neil, and that's why we love you. Helen marked down her rival cheese, Cordwell Cream, much to Ian's chagrin, as he had persuaded her to judge. Oliver confided in Ian that they need a new head of food at Grey Gables. After some dithering, Ian has decided to take the job so that he can open a new pizza location. There's some money there that doesn't add up. We await to find out whether Arda will allow this, as Oliver does not have authority to go handing out jobs, clearly. Xander drew Stella a picture of Weaver. Adam brought up the cherries. Stella was rather miffed and cut short their visit. Ed still feeling bad about Weaver and he apologised again and said that Stella should have a break. Oh, George the rescue. He offered to drive a tractor for home farm free of charge to help out. Emma saw this as a kind of apology from George. He's not a bad lad deep down, according to her. Oh, Emma love, you are so delusional. George got a day's trial at home farm at the going rate. What is he up to? Smart money is on him poaching Ed's job. George did okay, apparently, and Stella offered him some casual shifts. George promised he wouldn't let her down. Then he dobbed Ed in, saying that Weaver's the second dog that Ed has killed. Helen decided that Fallon couldn't have an extended lease. Then Sausage Boy had to go and tell her. It did not go well. Fallon had an almost cry on Lindy Bottom's shoulder and Linda's going to be the tea room champion. My money is on a move to the EV station. Stella agreed to accompany Pip and Rosie to an overnight stay in a tent in the garden. Rosie was too scared to sleep in the tent so Stella and Pip went on their own with a bag of giant marshmallows and a fire. Stella got a bit overwhelmed and Pip gave her a hug which turned into a snog. It all got a bit weird, but they cleaned the air on Friday. Let's see what happens next then. Until next week then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. So, Philippa, what have you been up to this week? Uh, what have I been up to this week? I have, oh, I had a very nervous time. I had to interview James Marriott, who is the podcast reviewer for The Times, and he writes very sort of honest, sometimes scathing reviews of podcasts. So I was really nervous about talking to him, but actually that was fine. But a lot of planning and preparation is going in for the fate tomorrow. I am helping with the raffle, Stephen. And I've just been told that the top prizes are a handbag and a bottle of whiskey. I mean, you know, where do we go from there? But that's my week. A handbag? <laughs> and what sort of handbag? You know, are we talking Gucci or are we talking Primark? Uh, <laughs> I need details. And what sort of whiskey for that matter? <laughs> yes, exactly. But that's, that's enough about me. What about you? What have you been up to? I haven't been up to very much this week. It's been a quiet week at work because everybody is on holiday, which has allowed me to catch up with stuff like that. And next week, I've got a work-related trip to Paris. So I have been doing the prep for that, which is going to be fun, I hope. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you lot, our lovely caller in
Ambridge 3962. And first up, we have Mike, who has to call in to share his despair about Helen and Tom. Mike Jennings here, and I've WhatsApped in before and, and stuff. I've not called in before, but I've been driven to her this week because it's Tom and Helen. I've, I've seen them before. Tom's a useful idiot. Helen's an idiot. But we just listened to the omnibus from this past Sunday. And every two minutes we were stopping it to rant. And I have to eat dinner before I called in here so I wouldn't get too angry. But it's the entitlement of them, the, the entitlement and the arrogance. The assumption that you had a quite casual conversation a year ago, that means you're going to have a contract for the cheese. That Ardil somehow let you down because of that. That he'll chase you down. That you won't have to bid. That Tom can be like, oh, cricket. And we're round. Tom was in the pipe. He doesn't drink. You've had a beer. Uh, a year, sorry. Other people have put bids in. You haven't. He's stretched enough with the head of food situation and you're like, oh, actually, our cheese is amazing. And, and you've got milk in that you, for this test batch that you've not really got a plan for. The idea to rebrand, the arrogance of that. The arrogance you think you could win in round by changing the label. He likes local suppliers, yes. He likes, Ardell likes authenticity. And slapping a new label on it is not authentic. It's the opposite of authentic. It's lazy. It's just, it's the pair of them. The entitlement that, because you've, you've hung around on a farm for a bit, then your surname is after that you can just crack on and you'll be okay and everyone will fall over themselves to give you contracts. It's just, Ellen says she'll do anything to keep the cheese business afloat, but just run it well. Yeah, the performance of those two has been pretty awful. I mean, it was bad enough last week over the whole business, of the cheese contracts with Grey Gables. And then we had Helen at the Borchester Food Fair this week. And I think we've got some calls about that, but deliberately marking down the opposition in some sort of attempt to, I don't know, get the contract at Greg Gables. It's not as if Ardil is going to actually check what the scores are on the individual cheeses if he's already signed a contract and if he likes that cheese. Though, again, there's a question about what Ardil is doing, choosing individual cheeses when he's supposed to have a head of food and a chef and people who will make those decisions when they've been appointed. And then... Alan and, and the contract and all that stuff as well this week. So, yeah, those two absolutely drive me mad, but I also they drive quite a few other caller inners mad. <laughs> what, what drove me mad this week is that we didn't actually find out who'd won the cheese competition. It was so bizarre that there was no ending to that. I, want, I was desperate for Helen to have marked her own cheese down by mistake that she thought it was the other one and it was actually hers. When I just heard she was going to be a judge, I was furious. And then when she sabotaged her rival, that made me furious. And the fact that they didn't tell us what happened in the cheese competition, that made me furious. And then when Ian asked Tom about Helen and he was concerned about her, Tom just went straight to Helen and told her what Ian's concern was. Right-minded person would do that. And why then should Ian apologise to Tom? I'm with Mike, the entitlement, the awfulness. Tom and Helen, no thank you. I'm over them. I'm Unfortunately, I think you're not going to be able to be over them because we've got quite a few more calls, which will bring them into the conversation. So you'll, you'll just have to spread your, your frustration across the next few calls. And next up, we have Rob, who's calling in to question Oliver's authority. 
follow their fellow Peruvians, even and Dumpty Dummers around the world. I'm just doing an early in the week caller in because, well, I've never worried about being proven wrong in the past, so what the heck. I'm just wondering about the Oliver and Ian dynamic. What authority is Oliver acting on? Offering Ian the job. I mean, I can imagine Ian walking into Adil's office saying, I'll take the job, and Adil saying, job? What job? Why, the one Oliver offered me. Cue Oliver getting another ticking off from Adil. Failing that, Ian gets the job and is pressured into making Hella the cheese supplier. Her dodgy judging gets found out, the contract is cancelled, and Ian gets sacked, and another telling off for Oliver. All in all, it seems riddled with implausibilities. Is that the right word? I don't. But it just seems to me that this is not going to go well. They're building too much on the jam tomorrow aspect of another salary without actually bearing in mind that he hasn't actually got the job or been offered the job by somebody in a position to offer him the job officially. That's just my thoughts on the situation. Take care all. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, Rob. Yes, I completely agree. What has Ian been doing now for the last year? Yes, I know he's been making a few pizzas at a few festivals, but how is he making money? How are they coping? And then when Adam said to Ian, oh, you deserve some time off for a change. Time off from what? They haven't even got the energy to stone the olives. So I don't know what they're doing. I, it just made me mad as well. A lot of things made me mad this week. And when Ian and Adam were talking to Stella, surely Ian actually saw how bad Adam actually is in business. His lack of business prowess, I don't know. And Oliver, Oliver got me mad as well because Neil warned Oliver that Neil doesn't get on with George fully, that he feels he's being played. And Oliver just stood there and doesn't realise he's being played the most. He's given George money. What happened about the bench? He just forgave George at the drop of a hat. So, yeah, Rob, I agree. Oliver and Ian, what is going on? Yes, I, I'm particularly frustrated by Ian, and I think I'll, I'll, we'll pick that up uh, because there's another call coming up fairly soon, which is all about Ian, or, or mostly about Ian. But, yes, his his approach to life seems to be utterly bizarre and he doesn't seem to be committed to doing anything properly and it makes absolutely no economic sense what's going on there <laughs> I... it's been one of those weeks where i've been yelling at the radio more than usual <laughs> I know. but if it was really boring we'd just be fuming about that so i'm i'm happily fuming this week i think yes i think that's 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 certainly true. The the frustrating things gives us something to to vent about, and and then we feel better afterwards because it's not us. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, we'll get on to the missing ferret, but that's a classic example. I was furious about this missing ferret, but then I thought this this is what I signed up for. This is what the arches is about. Yes, I'm not sure how many ferrets there were altogether. I know Eddie had to borrow some in, I think, didn't he, to to make up numbers for the ferrets wheel. Yeah. But, uh... I was just thinking, though, Stephen, you are a designer of fantastic cocktails. If you had to give one cocktail that represented this week in the Archers, what cocktail would that be? Uh, possibly a dirty martini. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Not a giant marshmallow cocktail. Well, I, I don't tend to to make 
uh, giant marshmallow cocktails. And I, I don't think it was a very sweet week, so I'm not sure a sweet cocktail would do. I think, I think a mixture of bitterness and, I don't know, Schadenfreude. I'm not sure what ingredient that would be. <laughs> yeah, spot on. <laughs> right, shall we move on to Richard? Uh, who has a clear telephone line for once. He's not calling in from an airport. Uh, and he also has a clear view on the business acumen in Ambridge. Richard calling in from Lisbon. Greetings to all dum-de-dummers. I think that George will be rumbled by Brad in his role as village fate treasurer with respect to embezzling charity money. Very odd to think that Oliver and Ardell could envisage hiring someone, while well, Oliver hiring someone without Ardell say so. Where's the job description or job position for a single venue hotel as well? A food purchasing manager apparently gets 50K, 40, 50K, and they couldn't afford it. What will the new chef say? And anyway, where's the job description? The lack of business acumen in Ambridge made me think there ought to be a school of how not to be an entrepreneur in the same way that John Cleese had Basil Fawlty's character not knowing how to run a business given that John Cleese had a management training company called Video Arts back in the day. Oliver and Ardell could write beer on hiring processes, Brian and Stella on budgeting, Fallon on taking and receiving purchase orders, order confirmations and negotiations about real estate, Brian on business ethics, Helen on workforce consultation in the context of turning your staff into the zoo animals, Martin Gibson on delegation and leadership, George on health and safety, business ethics, diversity and inclusion, Vince on human trafficking when hiring butchers from low-cost countries, Dave on not reading contracts for loans on solar panels and also interpersonal skills, Eddie on animal welfare, integrity and staying on the right side of the law and how not to get caught, Freddie on how to get caught, being on the wrong side of the law, EU employment law, for example, and above all, biting the hand that might feed you, Natasha on personal finance and budgeting, Linda on bullying and interpersonal skills, Pat, Tony and Helen on private label, branding strategies. I'm sure I've left people out, but that's enough. Maybe even Helen on parenting. Bye. Thank you, Richard. That was a really comprehensive list of what not to do in business in Ambridge. And I agree that the whole way that they do business in Ambridge is frustrating to anybody who, who actually knows anything about this. And I don't think that I can know much about running business, having been a civil servant all my life. But even I can see that the decisions that are being made, the whole approach can be completely insane. And all of those people have done stupid things or nonsensical things at times. You also mentioned George and the money. And I do think that there's a question mark over whether all the money that was raised at the fate is going to end up where it should do and whether any of it will end up in George's back pocket, including the money from downloading Linda's history of the fate, for instance. And anything that is a cash, because I, I suspect that cash disappears rapidly into Grange Farm drawers and does not end up where it should do. How on earth did they have 500 downloads of the fake brochure? I'm sorry, that makes no sense to me. There were not 500. You can't tell me there were 500 people at the ferret fate and none of, not all of them would have downloaded the brochure. So I don't understand that. And Ambridge seems to confuse charity and crowdfunding. Just because you do something online for crowdfunding doesn't mean it automatically goes to a charity. So, yeah, I think the accountants of Ambridge need to look into this. And it's just much quicker and easier to look at all the good business decisions made in Ambridge because there are none, basically. 
And George was just awful. It was awful all week, making poor Neil squirm over asking him to come around for tea. And when George said, I didn't do anything wrong. Yes, he did. This is a whole thing. I know we've got more calls about this, but how can he treat Neil like that? How can he get away with it? And everybody else just simpers round, fawning over him. Um, I, it's unbelievable. Well, we do have more on George coming right up now, I think, with Bernadette. Bernadette Hawkes, Archers fan, 2015. Georgie Porgy, pudding and pie, kissed the girls and made them cry. I begin cheerfully, only to sink into a mire of despair. By the way, did you know that the nursery rhyme, Georgie Porgy, is allegedly about the Prince Regent, George IV? But I digress. I fear that a lot of people will be crying soon, and not just the girls. I feel for Neil, who no one is listening to. Poor Neil voiced his feelings and thoughts about George. In my former professional life, there was always someone in the family who knew that a child was not right. Everyone else in the Grundy Horrovin clan seems to have been sucked in by their guilt and or willful blindness. Violet Cray thought her sons were nice boys, really. The signs so far are that there is something very wrong with George. It is vaguely possible that Joy may have sensed something. This is based on her hesitation to comment about George during Wednesday's episode. I've already tweeted the following, but I wondered what people would make of my theories regarding George. The SW's and SC's dilemmas are as follows. Make George do something really heinous, which lands him in jail for a very long time. Make him commit not-so-serious crimes, resulting in him going in and out of prison for many years. Let George marry or live with someone who he treats much, much worse than Eddie treats Clary. I suspect that George would be involved with alcohol and drug abuse to begin with for recreational purposes, but not enough to affect his overall functioning. Remember, he did try to make vapes. This all seems very bleak in terms of the future for George, but these things happen. Anyway, that's it for my ramblings and musings for now. Sadly, I didn't find the ferris wheel or the missing Marvin an antidote to George. Thank you. That wasn't quite it with uh, Bernadette's ramblings because she called back again just briefly. Oh, sorry, I'm back again because I forgot to add this bit, partly because I ran out of time. As Mermaid Star said on Twitter, they walk among us. But the problem is, Ambridge Nuss listeners can only cope with one sociopath stroke narcissist at a time. So someone has to go, Probably, possibly Rob or George, but I'm not laying any bets at the moment. Thanks for listening. Bernadette Hawks, Archers fan 2015. Thank you so much, Bernadette, for both those calls. Yes, it's fascinating to think about George and where his future lies. I am I think it's going to be a slow burn that we're not just going to see him have his final reckoning. In a way, I hope he's around because he brings out characteristics in other people that I find interesting, even though I absolutely hate George. And this nonsense of him doing the hay bales, always oh, taking his top off, always oh, putting water on himself. I do not need that information. That is one way to sour a cup of tea that, that I'll be drinking at the time. And what happened with George at Bridge Farm? I thought he was working there to help while John is away. But all he says he's doing now is making videos. Do they not need any help? And Stella just checks he can drive in a straight line, hires him immediately. So is George trying to prise Ed out of the way and get in with Stella? Bernadette, I'm disappointed, though, that you didn't have a slap list this week because I do like your slap list. My slap list would be George, Helen, 
Tom, Adam, Ian. Well, the lot of them, really. I wouldn't uh, leave Oliver off that list at the moment either. I just feel bad slapping Oliver. It might wake him up. Bernadette's early point was about what's going to happen to George and is he going to get caught up in crime or not. I have a feeling that he's probably going to learn how to get by in Ambridge without crossing that line. But we'll never forget that deep down inside, however he behaves, he's hugely misogynistic. And that will keep coming out from time to time. But I suspect that he'll be able to keep sufficient control over his behaviour that it won't be so obvious to absolutely everybody all the time what's going on. And he will just gradually add to the number of people in Ambridge who really loathe him but can't persuade anybody else or don't realise that everybody else is feeling the same way. And he will sail on through in a, a really deeply unpleasant way. I'm not looking forward to the future for him and how he turns out because it's not going to be good. Yes, it's going to be painful to listen to. But as you say, and as Bernadette says, I don't think it's going to be solved overnight and we're just going to see it play out for a long, painful time. Yes, because unlike a lot of the other villains that we've had in Ambridge, he is Ambridge born and bred. He's not an incomer like uh, Simon Gerrard, Simon Pemberton, Cameron Fraser, even Rob Titchener. So he's got nowhere to go apart from prison like various of his relatives. It'll be a shock, though, if he does go into prison for the family. I think that's going to be some way down the line. I don't know. I just don't know. how. I am really interested to know what his story is going to be. I hope Stella's involved in the process of revealing the true George, but... What I want never seems to happen in Ambridge, so there we are. Yeah. Emma has experience, well, I suppose she was quite young. Her mother, two of her uncles on the Horobin side, and uh, at least one uncle on the Grundy side have all been inside for a while. So maybe it's not that unusual for Horobins and Grundys uh, and, and somebody who is a combined Horobin and Grundy to end up in the slammer. Let's move on to our next call. Hello, Philippa, Stephen, and fellow Dumpty Dollars. This is Paula from Philadelphia, a second-time caller in room. I'm calling in on Thursday morning. I suspect I am joining a chorus of listeners who have been exclaiming at the radios this week over the utter nonsense regarding Grey Gables food sourcing. Among all of the perplexing things that happened this week, I feel most perplexed by Ian. So first, obviously, it was completely ludicrous that Helen was permitted to judge the cheese competition at all, but it was especially absurd for Ian to suggest that her 11th hour addition to the judges panel was somehow going to impress Odell. Ian briefly regained his senses when he called Helen out about her biased scoring and seemed to more or less keep his grasp on reality, while Adam blathered on to Stella about the cherry trees. But then he untethered himself from reality again when he assumed that the food sourcing consultant job was his for the taking just because Oliver the gentle fool thought it was a good idea. Wouldn't he at least want to get something in writing before he starts planning out how he's going to spend this windfall he's anticipating? Now, Ian's entitlement this week, along with Tom's and Helen's last week, raises another question in my mind about why the residents of Ambridge feel so entitled to steamroll Odil. Is it because they're just generally entitled? Is it because he's not a local? Is it because he's a well-mannered, mostly even-tempered professional? Is there some racism in it, as there surely was with Tom's ham-handed cricket idiocy last week? Is it because people still see Oliver as the manager of Grey Gables, although he apparently mismanaged it right out of business? 
I think Adil is a saint to put up with these fools, and I hope that when Grey Gables is finally reopened, he can retreat peacefully to a corner of the universe managed by competent people. I agree that Ian is, has made some really strange decisions. The idea that that job is his just on Oliver's word. As I think Rob pointed out, Oliver seems to have exceeded his authority when offering the job to Ian, much as he exceeded his authority when allowing Tracy to have the bar at Grey Gables for her hen night. So we've got all kinds of gloom coming up. But Ian also has taken this bizarre decision to step away from his pizza van for the rest of the summer. Now, it's peak summer festival time. It's peak running a pizza van time. And my understanding of the way these street food operations work is there is very little money to be made in them and that the owner will tend to work all the hours he can to get the income in to cover his costs. We know from a throwaway remark that it's not just about the guy running the stand to be replaced by Mary, but there are two other members of staff, I think, at least two. And I think having three people running a pizza van is about right. But where's the money coming to pay for them? Ian wouldn't be taking money out of the business as a salary. He would just be covering his expenses. And presumably while he's at a festival and so forth, he will be eating leftovers and the, the pizzas get, that get burnt and stuff like that to, to avoid it being wasted, rather than actually spending any money because he hasn't got any money coming in because his business is run on a shoestring. And yet we have him able to pay Mary full-time rate. So that's what, a sort of 12-hour day, even at minimum wage, sort of 15 quid an hour, that's going to be getting on for 300, no, 180 quid, something like that, a day. The margin on a pizza is going to be about I don't know, a couple of quid. So he has to sell 60 extra pizzas a day to cover her wages. It's just complete madness. And then he thinks he can get this new job at Grey Gables as head of food, not as chef, of course, as head of food, and still have time to open a restaurant as well as running a pizza van. This is just madness. Yes, I agree. This plan to buy a pizza place in, in Borsetshire, I think is absolute madness. And he's saying, oh, as long as you get good staff, you'll be fine. That's the problem. It's really hard to get good staff and he will be there all hours. I'm presuming he's just living off his redundancy settlement, but the way that couple manage money, it's going to be gone with, within a very short space of time if it hasn't gone already. And the way Helen's ears picked up when she thought Ian was going to be head of food, you could hear the delight. She's very happy to use people. Friendship to Helen means something quite different to what it means to, to most, I think. But yes, I agree with Paula. It's, it's that word entitlement that we had on Mike's call as well. It's just there's entitlement seeping through Ambridge at the moment, and we don't like it. We do not. So those are the first five calls. There are more absolutely brilliant ones coming up shortly, so don't go away. But if you would like to contribute to the madness that we are producing, <laughs> we, you'd be very welcome. There are three ways that you can get involved. The first option is to record a message or plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash dumptydum. Don't forget the T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810 012 881 or plus 44 and remove the first zero. If you're calling from outside the UK, please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Or finally, you can email us. We have a new email you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. Maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumptydum at mail.com. Do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. 
And don't worry about trying to write all that down now, as we've provided links to all those ways of contributing in the show notes for this episode. And they're right there now waiting for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right, let's get back to our calls. And next up is Claire from Clapham, who's wondering how Bridge Farm stays afloat. Hi, Dum Dum, it's Claire from Clapham here. Well, what an interesting week, but my call is about yet more poor decision making at Bridge Farm. And if I'm hearing this right, and I'm recording on Thursday evening, Helen was too disorganised to get back to Ardell in time to actually get a contract for cheese. And so feeling that they deserve the contract for cheese, she then does all sorts of crazy stuff, like Tom tries to make friends with Ardell and she tries to downgrade somebody else's cheese. And then because it's all up in the air, they're going to turn down a guaranteed rate of income on one of their buildings because that makes the place more stable, less stable. I do not understand. No one at Bridge Farm has made a sensible decision in weeks, except maybe Johnny, for thinking, oh, bloody hell, I'm just going to mm. for you Ecuador or whatever, because absolutely, like, why would you? They're just all making terrible decisions. And I am really worried about Helen because clearly she's not right and the, the way she reacted to stuff almost felt like she was rob over exaggerating and things like that the behavior is really bizarre so i am worried about her but god she's hard work isn't she and, uh, i'm finding it hard to be sympathetic so yeah bridge farm it's a miracle the place stays afloat in any way shape or form and fallon i hope you take yourself off to the charging station and make a roaring success of it Keep up the good work. Speak to you soon. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It is hard to be sympathetic with Helen. Normally, when someone's going through what she's going through, I have never ending pity and compassion, and I just want them to be okay. With Helen, I just want her to have a personality change, a bypass, or a hitman arrive in Ambridge because she's driving me potty. Didn't Tom? And Helen have to consult with Pat and Tony. Wasn't there supposed to be a meeting about Fallon? Because 
every other time they've been discussing something, they've got to wait till the four of them are together for them to talk about it and come to an agreement. But suddenly, Helen and Tom, the Tweedledee and Tweedledum of Bridge Farm, sit down and decide that, yes, that's it, they're not going to extend the lease for Fallon. And Claire is absolutely right, giving up the one guaranteed rate of income. I love Claire's point that the only good decision is Johnny leaving. Yeah, I completely agree. No wonder we should all we should all go on a on a yacht and sail away. The governance of Bridge Farm is a complete mystery. I think officially Pat and Tony have retired and are just sitting back and, and getting a share of the income from the farm. And the running of the farm is entirely a matter for Helen and Tom. But it certainly doesn't always feel like that. And Pat seems to be unable to stop making decisions all the time. So I, I'm i not quite sure what's supposed to happen. But yes, I, I thought they were going to have a meeting to discuss Fallon's lease. It's quite a... Well, it's a reasonably important decision, but it certainly isn't a major strategic decision that they shouldn't be able to come to a conclusion about, particularly as the obvious conclusion is to give her that extended lease. It's one building. They've got other ones. Every time something happens at Bridge Farm, they seem to find somewhere to put it, put things together. All <laughs> um, the fuss over Summer Orchard and where that should move. Though in, in the end, that ended up in Sawyer's because they couldn't mm. agree to where to put it. And, and they nearly trashed... Fallon's business at that point by wanting to put the an industrial unit in the old orchard uh, mm. instead of using but then covid came along and they used the orchard for for outdoor seating and that seemed to be a better solution they do drive me absolutely mad it's always been a strange place and it's a very tiny farm it's only 150 acres it gets a a ridiculous amount of attention in terms of the I, I suppose it's a safe place to run completely mad ideas. And it used to be so sensible. It used to be that's where organic farming was being <laughs> run in, in Ambridge. And that was great. And that's where they had the reed beds to do the water cleaning. There's lots of good green ideas going on there. But ever since, I don't know, I think ever since Natasha has turned up, it's all gone a bit mad. And the combination of Natasha and Helen and well, and Tom as well, as well, of course. And I think when they made the decision to sell off the land as well to for the housing development, there were some really strange thoughts that Helen and Tom were thinking about spending the money on. Helen was going to set up, and she was hell-bent on setting up this these cheese-making courses, and that just crashed and burnt as well. So I haven't seen any fundamentally sound decisions since they decided to sell off the land and what are they doing with that money now where is it is it earning a return it's just nonsense right let's go on to our next call and this is from chloe who is a first time caller in a hooray hi denty dan this is Chloe from London, first time caller in I've been listening to the Archers for a few years now. I started listening during the Alice drinking storyline. My mom has been listening since like early 2000s and she's the one who got me onto it because I do love a bit of drama and that was a very dramatic storyline. In the years that my mom has been listening, especially since I've started listening as well. 
she would always tell me how much she hated Helen, how much she disliked the character, what a whiny woman, et cetera. And honestly, in the last couple of years, she never really bothered me that much until the last two weeks. This whole cheese stuff is nonsense. Like, I don't know why she thought Ardell would jump for joy at the thoughts of having her not even created mozzarella yet. And now she's literally stomping on the competition and then is acting offended when someone calls her out for it. Good riddance, this woman. She has no self-awareness whatsoever. I understand that she's going through a hard time, but there is limits on how you can act. And she really needs to do some self-reflection. Anyways, just saying, mom, you were right. It's, and it's nice to have the history that you've been doing recently as a fairly new listener. It's always really good to hear what's been going on for the last six years. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for that call, Chloe. And on the histories, I've now uploaded all the histories that I've done so far, that's about 16 of them, onto a YouTube channel. And I'll put a link to that YouTube channel in the show notes so that anybody who wants to hear any of the histories that they've missed can go there and listen. And I've also uploaded in the same place about the same number of old Dumpty Dums that I recorded to introduce the show back when we were doing that. So there's a chance to listen to the... Uh, I think my favourite is probably the Doctor Who Dumpty Dum uh, of the ones I did, which uses agricultural noises and so forth. And the TARDIS at the end is is done by um, a, an archer's cow mooing uh, slightly distorted. I love the Twin Peaks one as well, and the Steel Drum Band one. Well, th- they're all there now. Getting back to Chloe's call and, and Helen, I'm reminded that when we were in Birmingham for the get to- together earlier in the year, Kerry Davis seemed to think that we didn't all hate Helen, and the entire audience there sort of said, "No, we do." And I think this week's calls have demonstrated quite how strongly people feel about how awful Helen is. Uh, and as as always, when we talk about this, we have to put a word in for Luisa Patikas for her performance as Helen, because it takes some pretty good acting to generate this level of feeling about a character. Uh, and Luisa has clearly done that brilliantly. Yes, absolutely. It's only through her acting skills that we are feeling so cross. They must have quite a laugh, I think, recording this, because there are some excruciating moments. When Tom was talking to Fallon and saying, oh, this is an us problem, and that he listened to it on a podcast. Good grief, what podcast is that man listening to? I dread to think. Ten ways to succeed at business. He's Maybe he's not listening to that at all. Ten ways not to succeed at business. But Chloe, it's great to hear you. Thank you for calling in. Yes, you join all of us being bothered by Helen. And it's so hard, as I said earlier, when someone's going through what she's going through, it feels wrong to dislike her so much and want things to go wrong for her. But I'm there for it. I'm drawing up a chair and and I'm ready. But Stephen, I do have a very important question to ask you because Tom was talking about podcasts on Friday's episode, and we heard Linda and Fallon having carrot cake. Where does carrot cake rank in your cake rankings? I don't mind carrot cake. I had some carrot cake yesterday, in fact. There's a a coffee shop which does extremely good coffee, and it's where I get my coffee from. And when I buy a bag of coffee beans, 
they will give me a free espresso and I tend to have that with one or other of their cakes. And the carrot cake they do is really rather good. And it's got that uh, cream cheese icing on top in a very thick layer. So I th I think carrot cake, it's not bad. I I don't tend to make it. I have made um, courgette cakes or zucchini cake, which is a similar sort of thing. Wow. But I haven't actually made carrot cake as long as I can remember. I tend to go more for slightly more traditional sponges and sort of nigella recipes. I don't know whether nigella does a Oh, fantastic. Cake. Well, this is your research right. of the week, Stephen. Uh, yes, I will be back to look for recipes. When, when I'm back from Paris, I don't think I'll be having carrot cake in Paris. They don't really do that. <laughs> there. Okay, let's move on to our next call. And this one is from Lillian, who is somebody else who has been shouting at the radio this week. Hi, Philippa and all Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Lillian McCarthy here calling in mainly about Thursday's episode and just to say that last night I was sitting shouting at the radio, go on, snog, snog, snog. And then they did it. And then Pitt was devastated at what she'd done. Oh, that's really sad. As much as I know we all don't really like Pitt, be nice to see her happy. And Stella happy, I think. And incidentally, can anybody shed some light on something I have been watching? Pointless this week. And the lady doing the programme with Strong is Lucy Porter. And she sounds like the same Lucy who plays Stella. So can anybody confirm that that is correct? Thank you very much. And I shall speak to everyone soon. And actually, Lillian went off and did her own research and called back again. Hello, it's Lillian again from Middlesbrough. Quick addendum to my caller in And it was just to say that I have now looked up on the Archer's website and I see that it Actually, Lucy Speed, who plays Stella, but I have to say, they do sound remarkably similar, in my opinion, anyway. I would be interested to see what anybody else thought. Okay. Bye for now. Oh, Lillian, thank you so much for calling us. I'm sorry you were shouting at the radio. I was so pleased when they had a snog. I was like, yes, finally, I am here for this. And I was really disappointed that Pip sort of wimped out on it. And Friday's episode, I just thought, oh, no, I'm glad they're talking to each other, only thanks to Stella being the most mature person in Ambridge whatsoever. But I just hope that that's a slow burn. They do like each other and I want them to end up together. I mean, Pip does drive me mad, but she will be diluted if she's with Stella. Stella will give her a pass as far as I'm concerned and I will allow Pip to stay in Ambridge if she's with Stella. But my question for you, Stephen, is Pip is 30. I was trying to find out how old Stella is. Do you have any idea how old she is? Is she about 40? I don't think we, we know officially, but my guess is that she is mid-40s, judging by everything that she said. Also, taking into account Lucy Speed's age, I, yeah. I think Stella is probably in her mid-40s. Like you, I was well, I wasn't surprised about the initial Pip reaction to having kissed Stella and, and running away. That seems to be a fairly standard thing in, in this sort of drama. I think that I was a bit disappointed when they said, oh, oh it's all back to normal now. I don't want normal. Mm. I want proper true love. But I think yeah. it's going to be a, a bit of a slow burn. But I do wonder, next week, we have the reappearance of Lottie. If you remember, Lottie was the mother of Madison, who was a rival with Rosie 
for playing the part of the spider in the Nativity play. And when Lottie was around last mm. December, I wondered then whether, and she'd separated from her husband, from Madison's father, and Pip had obviously separated from Toby, not that they were ever really together in, in a fully-fledged romantic way. But I was wondering whether there was a bit of a frisson between the two of them. And I'm thinking that maybe when Pip meets up with Lottie, she'll confess, as I don't know, have a couple of, couple of bottles of rosé between them, She'll confess to, to what has happened, and Lottie will turn around and say, well, of course you're gay, Pip. It's blindingly obvious to everybody. And that, that may help Pip realise that, that actually what she felt for Stella was the right thing to feel and, and not something to be ashamed of. Yes, as long as Pip doesn't greet Lottie with a bag of giant marshmallows as well and, and starts trying to snog Lottie, I want it to be with Stella only. Oh yes, I I, th I think so, and I I think that Lottie is is would be fine with just being friends with Pip, and that's assuming that Lottie is herself has realised that she herself is gay. Yes, we just don't know. It's all of these facts. The one other fact that I was trying to find and couldn't, and I'm sure you'll know, when Ed shot Baz the dog, what were the actual circumstances of that? I can't remember. I think that, yes, Baz was worrying Ed's. Texels, and so he shot him under those circumstances. Oh, I see. Ah, oh, fair enough. Thank you. See, you know it all, Stephen. You are the man who knows. I, I think that's the case. I, I can't guarantee that. I might have to go back and, and have a further look into that. I haven't done a two-minute history of dogs in Ambridge. <laughs> if I did, that might be one to cover. But there aren't that many interesting dogs, apart from Lavinia's schnauzer and Scrap. And, and Harrison working like a dog. I thought, why would you say that in a week when a dog's died? It seemed quite an odd sentence. It does. Anyway, let's move on to our next call. And this one is from God Squad Mir, who has a word about George. Hello, Dumpty Dummers. It's God Squad Mir here. I'm calling in about something that Clary said on Wednesday's episode. And she said that George had a lot of online friends. Mm. I think the scriptwriters are telling us gently, subtly, that George is going to definitely be an incel. So we have to watch this space and watch out for other clues. I think that George is going to try and keep the money raised for charity, probably the money in the bucket, because he won't be able to keep the online stuff. But I think that a woman's going to call him out on it. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know whether it be his mum or Stella or Hannah or someone like that, but I think it's going to be a trigger for him. Anyway, love the show. Take care. And this is God Squad Mia saying amen. Bye. Thank you for that call, Mia. I agree with you in many ways about George, but one thing I'm, I'm not so happy about is using the term incel because it's a label, but it's a label that people like that tend to adopt for themselves. And I think that it, by making it a thing, you separate it out from actually what is unpleasant and unacceptable behaviour. And I think the, having the label here is deeply unhelpful. It depersonalises it. And actually what we should be saying is that George is somebody whose behaviour is clearly unacceptable and he needs to do something about it. And he can't just claim that, that he's in a particular category as an excuse for doing that because it's far too easy to make an excuse to say, I'm an incel, I'm therefore entitled to be uh, treated in a particular way, it's not my fault. Well, that's not the way the world is, George. It is your fault. You are a, a remarkably unpleasant and misogynistic young man. You need to improve your behaviour 
You need to learn how to deal with other people and you need to stop making any excuses for yourself. And also you need to learn how to do a proper job of work and not think that videoing people on a farm actually is work. I love that, Stephen, yes. And yeah, I agree with me about when Clary said he's got lots, George has lots of online friends. What person says that? Even I as a parent, if I would never say that about my children. If I if they were telling me they've got lots of online friends, that would make me very nervous. And my parents would feel the same. I think most of us know what's going on in the world, know how many weird people there are out there, know to be careful about it. And if someone's going around saying they've got lots of online friends, that rings several alarm bells as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, George, keeping the money in the bucket, good point. Is he going to close the crowdfunding account as well and keep at least a percentage of that? If he closes the crowdfunding account, how then will Brad know how much money was raised? I don't know, but there's trouble everywhere, Mia, and amen to you too. Yes, and now it's time for our final call, and that's from our Ambridge Pony Club, Jen, who is not a fan of the week's drama, unlike so many other people. Greetings, everyone in Dumdy Dumland. Well, it's been a weird old week. It's one of those weeks where you really hope that people that you've recommended the show to don't choose this particular one to tune in on. The whole thing with the pet grief. I mean, we had the grief over the ferret and the grief over poor old Weaver. Pet grief is very real. It's absolutely a bereavement, the same as any other bereavement. But the thing with the ferret, I thought, oh yeah, okay, this is going to be, when he makes his appeal, it'll have been Joe's ferret. And then that'll make sense because, you know, it's actually grief for his father. But no, no, that was just weird. And then Marvin, why Marvin for a ferret as well? Strange. And then poor old Weaver, I'm getting really irritated with everybody telling Stella how to feel and telling Stella how to manage her grief. I really doubt that Ed would have gone to a male boss and told him to take a day off and gone and hired George and all of that. And I bet you that ends badly tonight. It's Friday today and I bet you George goes and breaks something and it'll all be Ed's fault or worse. And then Helen, Purple Pumpkin and I have a bit of a disagreement over Helen. I've never liked her. And I think we're beginning to see the true colours. I think what trauma has done is it's taken all the filters and the public niceness and all of that away. And we have the essential Helen. And Helen is essentially out for number one. Clearly she is. That's what she cares about. And she will do anything to get what she wants. We've seen it before. We've seen it when she went after somebody who was married to somebody else's. We've seen it a number of times. We've seen it with John and Sharon. She can be really foul when she wants to be. And we've certainly seen that this week. Thank you so much, Jen. Yes, some really good points about George, about Helen and the ferrets. I hated the ferrets bit. A ferret's wheel. I just thought it was really cruel to dress these ferrets up and have them going round and round on the wheel. And I didn't understand why Linda steady by the sound of it. And Linda was raving about what a good job Eddie had done. The fact that Marvin had legged it is a testament to the fact that he objected to being dressed up and put in a ferret's wheel. When George was recording the message, though, with Eddie, it sounded like they were recording a contribution to Dumpty Dum because they were on the old WhatsApp, it sounded like, or speak pipe. And the fact that Joy couldn't believe that Harrison wouldn't investigate a missing ferret. Come on, we can do better than this. 
Can't we, Stephen? I'm sure we can. In terms of the, the names of the ferret, I agree that Marvin is a, an odd name for a ferret, but then Eddie has called other ones things like Brooklyn and Romeo and Tex and Adele. And then Joe, of course, he Joe had a number of ferrets. He called two of them Peggy and Phil, and those two, along with Grant, met a rather sticky end in the summer of 2000 when they were in Meadow Rise. His other, I think Joe's other ferret was called Turk. And then, Not yes. For a lot of them after the singers, A strange then. habit of naming them. I think so, but, well, Adele was... Brooklyn may have been named after Brooklyn Beckham, who's the daughter of a, a Spice Girl. He also had one called Noah. I think they, they seem to be a bit random, not quite as random as calling a sheep Pepper Pig, but you can't. That was Poppy's name. I don't think Poppy gets to name the ferrets. No, thank goodness, or else that would not be good. I should just say Brooklyn Beckham is the son, not the daughter, because I know what you're going to get calls from that, Stephen. I don't. I don't know that much about Spice, Spice Girls, so I'm happy to be corrected on, on that point. Okay, those are the calls. Thank you all very much for calling in. We do love them and do call again next week. But now we're going to move on to Facebook, and we need to say an how do to you to... Ruth, Kim, Sue, Jenny. James, Joy, Jenny again, and Philly. Now to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at at Wenlock House. And I can be found with my bookish musings at QuickBook Review with a three, not a W. Anyway, let's find out who has won the Twitter medals this week. Hello, it's Fry here. And now on Dumpty Dum... It's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Philippa, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This has been a great week on Twitter. I do wonder whether the more annoying the storylines, the more creativity the Twitterati put into their tweets. There's been a lot of admiration for Neil's ability to see through George when his female relatives can't, and a lot of negativity for the lost ferret storyline. About the state of the laundry pile in Eddie and Clary's bedroom, the odours that can conceal odour ferret for three days, and the general ludicrousness of how miserable Eddie was. The tweet-along were also quite split on how long Stella should be al allowed to mourn her lost weaver. And no, that isn't a euphemism. On the less grumbling side, in addition to all the discussions of how George is probably spending the money raised for Caroline's charity, and when he will take against Stella, Brenda Selwyn gave us an erudite treatise on how George is really much more like his violent and nasty great-uncle Clive Horobin than his ne'er-do-well thief great-uncle Alf Grundy. And so to my medals for Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's newcomer... Colin Heinink at Albie Star. Are the knitted ferrets still in the boot? It's sentences like that which single-handedly justify the BBC licence fee. The silver medal goes to regular medalist Eliza Bennett, 
at Eliza Bennett 3. Eddie's trouser ferret reminds me of when one of the Year 6 boys accidentally brought a newt back from a school residential in his pants. She does go on to explain some more about that. A real newt in his pants, but not the ones he was wearing. And the gold medal goes to another newcomer to the podium. Jenny Williams, at Jenny W. Dog. Ooh, Stella out with Pip. If the Pip-Ruth-Stella love triangle does eventually materialise, please can we call it Stella Menage Artois? Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter next time. Thank you for that, Purple Pumpkin, and congratulations to all who are mentioned in this week's roundup, but especially those medal winners. Brilliant. In bronze, Colin Heineck at Albi Star. In silver, Eliza Bennett at Eliza Bennett 3. And in gold, Jenny Williams at Jenny W. Dog. And don't forget, we are on Instagram at Dumpty Dum. Next week's episode will be hosted by Stephen and Jacqueline. The power duo returns. However, we do need to take a moment and send our love and best wishes to Jacqueline and family. As Jacqueline's mum very sadly died on Monday, we send our love and hugs. Well, as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to our social media supremos. The whole Dum Dum team are amazing. And we must say thank you to Shambridge for her voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We are off now to check our trousers for ferrets. So it's a bye-bye from me. And it's a bye-bye from me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.